Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Women's fiction author Lindsay Cowell has made a name for herself with her I Heart romance series featuring Angela, a British magazine editor who moves to New York. But she's just as happy writing standalone rom-coms. The secret for all of them is they're very humorous. The most recent of the rom-coms, One in a Million, is best described as Bridget Jones meets My Fair Lady for the social media set. You get the picture. It's been warmly endorsed by stars like Marianne Keyes. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler. And before we get to Lindsay, just a reminder, you can find links to Lindsay's books and website and a full transcript of our conversation at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now here's Lindsay. Hello there, Lindsay, and welcome to the show. It is great to have you with us. Hello, Jenny. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Look, it's unoriginal, but I do like to start with a once upon a time <laughs> and ask you, was there a once upon a time moment, a kind of epiphany where you thought, I've got to write fiction or my life won't mean anything? And if so, what was the catalyst for it? You know, I don't think there was. It's um, I don't know how common of a story it is. I know amongst some of my writer friends, they feel the same way. But writing was just always something that I did um, from being very, very young. My mom taught me to read when I was really little. Uh, so I was reading before I got to school. And I think one of the things my teachers thought would be easier since they didn't need to teach me to read was they were like, why don't you just write yourself a story? Um, so I've been writing ever since I was really tiny. So it's just always something I've done. Um, with regards to doing it professionally, I did sort of, I, I did assume I would never be able to do that because I think a lot of writers have their hopes and dreams crushed in such a comforting fashion um, mm. by teachers and mentors and people saying, well, you know, you'll never actually get to do it for a living, but it's nice that you enjoy it. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I just, I, I, it was just always something I did. And it was only when I was working in publishing, I was an editorial assistant at HarperCollins in the children's team, um, working on film and TV licensed tie-in books because that was the only job I could get in publishing. And I thought if I couldn't write books myself that would be published, I at least wanted to be near the books that were being published. Um, yeah. I, I was working there and it was, I'd been there a couple of years and I was just sat one day thinking, well, all these books are getting made and all these books are being published. So if I'm not at least trying, you know, I shouldn't feel good about myself. Like I should at least try was basically what I thought. I don't think it was a light bulb moment. It was more of a, oh, look, my boss turned down Twilight and that did really well. Or we signed this book that we thought was incredible and it did really badly. So I think once I saw the inside of it and realized there was no rhyme or reason in what works in publishing, it's just like, well, give it a shot then. Give it a try. Yeah. And did your boss really turn down Twilight? Yeah, they turned down. I Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was somebody in, it was the publisher in the department, in the fiction department. Um, but then every, like a lot of people did, you know, she turned down a lot of books. Um, yes. And she signed other books that other people turned down. That's one of the weird things about publishing that I think people outside the industry don't always know. They think if a book sells bazillions of copies, then everyone wanted it. But that's very often not the case. 
um yeah <laughs> lots of books get turned down lots of books that do amazing don't do really well straight first first of all we were working with john green um in my publisher when i was there on during looking for alaska and his second book abundance of catherine's and abundance of catherine's just didn't do well in the uk and i think he ended yeah. up going elsewhere and then who would have foreseen the success of fault in our stars so yeah yeah, it's one of those yeah. be interesting. It's a fascinating industry to be part of, but a really long answer to your question is... Uh, <laughs> no, that's... Yeah. I was thinking of Hugh Howie too. I mean, there are lots of stories like that, but Hugh Howie is another one that, yeah. you know, it's the old story of 20 years and discovery overnight, isn't it? Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, precisely. So you've made your name with the I Heart series of contemporary romances featuring Angela, a British magazine editor who moves to New York. And a lot of Angela's story has a very close resemblance to your own. You transferred from London to New York as well, I think. Could you tell us a bit about how that transition occurred? Yes, um, Angela actually did it before I did. Uh, which oh, did is, she? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Right, no, it's something um, I think most people, I mean, fairly and entirely reasonably assume is that the books were based on what I did. But actually, I wrote the book. Um, and I Heart New York was published about six weeks before I moved to the States. Uh, so it's one of those slightly creepy things where you wrote it and then it happened. Um, so yeah, I, as I said, I was working with HarperCollins on film and TV tie-in books and a role came up in the U S office, uh, that was right for me. So I basically begged and sulked and <laughs> stamped my feet until they were like, fine, just let her go. We don't even want to, we don't even want to hear anymore. Just go to New York. Um, so I actually transferred with my job uh, and I worked um, as an editor at HarperCollins for the first year that I was in the States before I went full time with writing. So that's great. Right. I, yeah. I, I didn't. So and in the end, did, did HarperCollins publish the iHeart series? I didn't quite. Yeah, they did. Read. They did. Um, which was it was another chain of weird coincidences. I, I didn't take it to them originally when I first decided to try to um send it out um and I sent it out to agents I, I I knew from working there how unpopular uh it was for a, a staff member for an employee to try and sell a book internally you know it was very sniffed at and frowned upon uh, at the time mm -hmm. couldn't speak to it now but that it was very like oh every editor thinks they have a book I really don't want to deal with it was the situation and I was a relatively yes. junior member of staff in a different division I didn't know anyone in women's fiction or in fiction at all. I only knew my team. Um, so I sent it out to agents, got pretty far down the road with one, I mean, rejected from over 20, rejected out of hand by more than 20 agents. Um, started working with one, but she hated the book and wanted me to write something else. So in the end, I asked a friend at HarperCollins who had moved into fiction if she could help me find an agent that would be right for me or that would at least give me constructive feedback um, and that friend, uh, God bless her or everything, she said she would do it, then decided she couldn't be bothered and passed it on to who would become my publisher, uh, Lynn Drew in fiction. <laughs> she basically <laughs> was like, I don't really want to deal with this. I'll ask Lynn to do it as a favor to me instead. Um, and Lynn Drew read the book and she loved it. And she invited me up for a coffee and a chat. And by the end of that chat, she just said, look, why don't we just do it together? Uh, and we'll do it in we'll do it at HarperCollins. So that's how I ended up there. It was it was a really roundabout way to basically travel down one flight of stairs and and be published by the people that worked directly underneath me. 
And how many, how long a period were you looking for other agents before you finally settled with Harper? It was more than a year. It was, I finished yeah. the book uh, beginning of February, oh gosh, nearly 12, no, yeah, 12 years ago. Ugh, it was 2007. Uh, and I signed with them in, I think, March, April 2008. Uh, yeah. so it was out on submission for a good six, seven months before I started working with the agent that I did work with for a very brief time. I stopped working with her sort of October, November time. It was about to give up. And then my friend was like, look, you've just, you may as well ask someone internally if they'll at least look at it for you. I know you don't want to, but it seems a shame not to even ask. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a year between it going out and it getting signed. Well, that's very encouraging for other, for other would-be writers who might be listening out there because now you're published in 25 languages and you've sold more than a million books. Yeah, yeah. And you, you seem to have a very nice tandem act going between the I Heart series and standalone contemporary uh, romantic comedies. Well, mm -hmm. they are contemporary as well. Yeah. I, I guess, as you've now explained, the I Heart series came first and then you started doing the standalones uh, alongside them? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, I don't. There wasn't really a plan to it. I, I mean, there was never a plan to sit down and write romance novels. Um, I don't think I, I knew I was doing that. I was just writing for my own pleasure and for the sake of writing, and, and that's what came out. I was definitely in a pretty miserable point in my life. Um, I was in a pretty rubbish relationship and I was very bored at work and I was in tons of debt and living in London and wasn't very happy. <clears throat> um, so I think I'd just taken a trip to New York with my brother for his birthday, um, which he kindly paid for me to go with him because basically our mother bullied him into it. Uh, <laughs> she was like, take your sister, take your sister. Um uh, we're, we're very close we're really close as brother and sister so he did take me with him and I was just so inspired by New York that's how I started writing I Heart New York was like an anywhere but here fantasy for me uh, I didn't think above and beyond that I didn't think about publishing it I didn't think about writing it for anyone other than myself uh, and then a friend of mine was reading it as I was writing it and she was the one that encouraged me to send it out um, so yeah, after I'd, uh, once I'd realized I had something with it and I talked about sending, I started sending out on submission and I envisioned it as a series from, from when I first finished the first book, because I love series. I grew up reading series and I thought this could be a really fun one. Um, and I knew her story wasn't over at the end of the first book, but then after that, I knew I didn't want to write it forever. I didn't want to be just writing one character, one series forever, um, so that's how I moved over into also doing uh, standalone. Yeah. Um, which was really important to me to have that outlet to be able to tell other stories. So now the I Heart series gone to many of the, the most famous hot places around the world. You've done Vegas, you've done Paris, you've done London, you've done Hollywood. I kind of wonder if you're going to do every city that you'd like to venture <laughs> to visit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'm very keen to go to Tokyo. Uh, but no, actually, um, I as I talk to you right now, the screen underneath this screen that we're talking on is um, I Heart Hawaii, uh, which I'm just finishing the second draft of. Um, and that's actually going to be the last I Heart. Oh. Um, we are officially wrapping things up, um, which will be published this summer. Oh, gosh, uh, that, that is a big yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 10 years this year since the first one came out, which is completely insane. Um, so we just thought it was a good time to draw a line under it. I mean, in this age of reboots, never say never, I feel like, but it feels like a good time to um, let Angela live her life without me 
jumping back in every couple of years and messing it up. <laughs> so yeah, sadly, no I Heart Tokyo for me or her. <laughs> <laughs> but there has been an I Heart Christmas. Now I gather that you regard Christmas almost like a favourite destination. <laughs> oh my god! <gosh>, yeah. <laughs> and I wondered how that works for you now that you're living in LA. It's a heartbreaker. Um, I, I do. I love Christmas. I love Christmas so much. I always have. I just, I'm one of those awful people that wants to put the decorations up immediately and wants the biggest, stupidest tree. And then once I've got it, complain about having to dress it because <laughs> no one else could do it because they'll do it wrong and all that nonsense. Um, LA is not ideal for Christmas. This year, we actually, my boyfriend and I went to, he's from South Carolina, so we went down to Charlotte for Christmas, which was a bit more Christmassy. Yeah. Um, always good to go home for Christmas, back to the UK. Always good to do New York for Christmas. Yes. Christmas in New York, the best. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I like to spread my Christmas love far and wide. Uh, we'll see. We're moving into a new house in a couple of weeks, which I did check has room for a massive tree. <laughs> so... This Christmas could happen at home. <laughs> oh, uh, we'll see. Now, your latest rom-com is called One in a Million, and it's described as Bridget Jones meets My Fair Lady for the social media set. It seems clear that you enjoy adding humour to your narrative. Uh, yeah, I, I think I've always thought of myself um, as more of a comedy writer than anything else. Um, I, many, all, not even many, all of my friends would um, laugh in your face if you told them I was a romance writer. Uh, it's not my wheelhouse. <laughs> Traditionally, not something I was talented at and one of the most cynical humans to walk the earth, possibly. Um, but I, I've always loved writing relationships. More than romance, I, like, I love to write relationships. So whether that is a romantic relationship or a friendship or parent relationship, I love to write the dynamics and the interactions between humans that's the thing that I find fascinating about the world, and that's what I love to write. Uh, but I also am a youngest child who is a massive attention seeker and loves to make people laugh. Um, so that's how I got there, really. I've always tried to write the comedy in. Um, and then, yeah, just fascinated by relationships between people. Yeah. that's It's interesting with um, Angela how you've progressed her life. So, you know, she started off as a single gal with an unhappy relationship and without giving anything away she's her life's evolved as you've gone along and the relationships yes, yeah. are very important to the story aren't they yes yeah and I've always felt like as much as it's her, her romantic relationship with her partner in the books um Alex there's also um her friendship with Jenny has always been pivotal and and I get more feedback I think from readers um who love that relationship even more than the romantic relationship but it's all about so Angela and Jenny, and then she has her best friend Louisa back at home. And, and I think that's something a lot of us go through with having your childhood best friend versus your adult best friend and how that all sits together. Um, so I, I just find that dynamic to be what really moves those books along. Yes. You've had some heartwarming affirmations from established authors, and I'm very impressed with the endorsement you got from Marianne Keyes, who complimented you on your witty, funny, warm, and clever <laughs> books. She did. Bless Is she her. one of the writers uh, who's acted as a bit of a role model for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I read Watermelon when I I told her this story and it, it went it went she, it went amazing because she's amazing, but it was very embarrassing for me. <laughs> uh, but I read Watermelon when I was a teenager. I think my mum had it um, for a holiday. We were on holiday somewhere, and my mum had it, and I just was 
just read everything as a kid um anything I could get my hands on I read it so once she'd finished with it I picked it up and read it and I just remember loving it and I still quote it now and I always think someone was asking me recently here in the states about they were watching that tv show I don't know if you have this a tv show I think it's on Netflix here um called Derry Girls and it's about girls in London Derry in Northern Ireland growing up in the 90s and he the, my friend kept pronouncing it Derry Girls and he was like, yeah, Dairy Girls. Did you watch Dairy Girls? And I was like, what's what's a Dairy Girl? And I was like, oh, you mean Dairy Girls? And he was like, oh, is that how you would say it? I was like, well, that's how I would say it. But if you said it in an Irish accent, yes, it's closer to Dairy. I get that. Um, but there's a moment in Watermelon where one of the characters says something about, oh, my sister's been kidnapped by the IRA. And they'll be like pistol whipping her, shouting, shut up, bitch. But it'll be in a Northern Irish accent. So I'll be like, shut up, bitch. And I just have never forgotten that moment. I don't know why that is the one moment that is just always at that and learning what an episiotomy is. So thanks for that, Marion. Um, yeah, she just, she's a character, she's a writer that just, it sticks in your head and she's so good at those little moments yes. that make you laugh and make you think, oh, this is so fun. And then she'll just hit you with the emotional punch afterwards and, and you just don't stop thinking about it. Yeah. I just think she's so talented and so gracious and so giving to other writers. Um, the first time I met her was at a lunch with some friends and I didn't know she was going to be there because my friends didn't tell me because they knew I wouldn't be able to hold it together. Um, and it was awful because we were sat opposite each other at this table and she was looking at me and I was looking at her and I realized she was only looking at me because I was staring at her. <laughs> and instead of saying something, I just waved across the table <laughs> and she just sort of waved back. And I'm like, I'd like to die now. I'd like this to be over because the right thing to say was, hi, Marion, I'm Lindsay. I'm such a huge fan of your work. I write too. And then and when we did talk, she absolutely knew who I was. And she's like, oh, our books are next to each other on the shelves. <laughs> I was like, they are. Um, and we had mutual friends and, and it was fine. But I was just like, oh, God, why have you done this? You just waved at Marion Keys. It was just very bad. But she is a wonderful, wonderful person who is just a gift to publishing, I think, and the world. It's gorgeous. Look, along with all this writing, you're also co-hosting two very different weekly podcasts. One is on yes. pro wrestling called Tights and Fights. Yes. And the other is on makeup and beauty. It is, yes, full coverage. Um, they seem very different sort of interests that are poles apart. And I wondered how you managed to kind of hold them both in, 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 in a certain tension. Yeah, they're both, I mean, it's I, people find it surprising, which I fully understand. Um, but they're both things that I love. So it's really easy for me. Uh, and I think there's, there's a surprising, I mean, I'm not saying it's a common common interest but there is a Venn diagram and in the middle there's like a fair chunk of us um, who read books and watch wrestling and like makeup because uh, women can do all kinds of things these days I know it's unheard of uh, but yeah I, I love I've always loved wrestling since I was a little kid I have a big brother as I mentioned um, and he was just my hero so he's five years older so when he was watching it and I was a little kid if he was obsessed with it I was obsessed with it uh, so it's just always been one of those things I've loved as a kid. And when I moved to LA, I found out about this podcast and they asked me to come in and, and host with them. So that's been super, super fun. You actually get to share the thing you love with other people who love that thing. Uh, and that is joyous. Um, and full coverage, same thing. A friend of mine from LA, uh, she was actually from England and she moved out here just after me and she's a makeup artist. And we were spending so much time talking about makeup and beauty um, and all the things we loved about it that we just thought, well, why don't we combine our interests and this time that we spend talking about it already and share it with everybody else? Um, and that's how full coverage happened. 
So, yeah, they were all pretty natural, organic uh, things. They take up a lot of time, which would be nice if they didn't. Uh, but I'm, I'm an enthusiast of things, so I just like to be able to share my passions with other people. And I think that's what's really good about podcasts like this one. Yeah, sure. Um, you sound like a down-to-earth sort of gal, and, and I wonder if being in L.A. has changed your attitude towards the whole cosmetic ro- um, makeup, and I'm thinking particularly injectables mm-hmm. scene. I think I, I did listen to part of one of the episodes of full coverage, and I was surprised to hear that they were talking about preventive Botox these yeah. days because I'm I'm so far out of that circle <laughs> I didn't even realise that that kind of thing was happening. But is it interesting being somewhere like LA and doing a podcast like it that? It is. It is different. Um, I was in England, obviously, for most of my life, and I moved to New York. I was there for six years, and I've been here for four uh, and the approach here is very different. Um, there's a lot. Well, it is very different, but also the industry has changed so much in those four years. It, when I first moved here, the idea of just your average person getting lip fillers was unheard of. And we were just sort of getting into the place where Kylie Jenner became famous for doing it. That's only a couple of years ago. That's what's crazy. Um, yeah. And when that first happened, the world was in uproar. Everyone went crazy, like this teenager getting giant lip injections, changing her face. This is insane. And now it's so commonplace and not just in L.A., back in England as well, um, definitely all over the States. It's so common now. It's just become a thing that people do. And for better or worse, whatever you personally think about that or what I personally think about that, that's a thing that happens now. That's the trend that now exists that is a thing you can get that people think it as common as dyeing their hair. They really don't think it's different. Um, That scares me because I've seen it happen so quickly. I think if you're a teenager who grew up with it, it doesn't phase you in the slightest. Um, I have had Botox. Um, I first got it back in New York, so it was a while ago because I have a very – for whatever reason, you should just get it if you want to get it. It's no one should judge you for it. But I first got it because I had really heavy frown lines between my eyebrows because uh, I frown when I'm concentrating and I'm always concentrating. Um, and I just thought it made me look tired and angry all the time. Um, it was full on as we would call it these days, resting bitch face. Uh, so a friend of mine who is a doctor was like, well, I can treat that. I can literally make those go away with two pricks of a needle. And I was like, oh my God, I would let's try it. Let's try it. Cause it's not permanent. It will wear off. I was like, let's give it a shot. Um, so that's when I got Botox for the first time was on those between eyebrow lines. And it actually even helped with my headaches. It helped get rid of my tension headaches. So huge fan of that. Um, I have since then had lip filler twice in my bottom lip because, um, I was losing volume in it. Basically, as I got older, I'm almost 40 and my bottom lip is not as full as my bottom lip used to be. So I was getting half a half a um, vial, which is a tiny amount. Um, Kylie Jenner, I would say, is at least two full vials. Um, so, yeah, I was getting this tiny amount of filler in my bottom lip just to boost the volume in there. So to my mind, it looked nicer in lipstick. But it's a super personal thing that you either like or you don't like you do or you don't do I personally come down on the side of it being a choice that women should be allowed to make without judgment because I think there's a sniff of patriarchal disapproval around it very often that we're told Mm. you shouldn't do it you shouldn't do you shouldn't mess Mm. with your face because it's very much a thing Mm. that women do but Mm. then you know you also get wrapped up in the idea of like well am I doing this because I'm subscribing to a, a male dominated system of beauty that says I shouldn't age 
it, it's a big mess. Don't start me on the patriarchy. Um, but I do think if you want to yeah. do Botox, if you want to do filler, if you want to dye your hair, if you want to wear eyelash extensions or pink eyeshadow, if it's if you're doing it for you and you're doing it because it makes you happy, you should do it. And I, yeah. I think that's amazing that there's so much choice and opportunity now. Preventative Botox, I will say, I think is nonsense. Uh, don't put stuff in your face until you need to put stuff in your face. I do agree with the doctors that calm down on that side. There's two sides to that argument. I personally don't think you should be doing it until you need to do it. Um, yeah. But and, and need is such a subjective term anyway. But yeah, do what makes you happy. That's what about this world is easy these days. If getting a bit of Botox between your eyebrows makes you happier with the way you look and makes your day go easier, get that Botox. Amazing that it helped your headaches. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, I always had migraines and um, tension headaches, and it really, really, really helped. I was so shocked. I was so surprised. That and braces. I had to get braces mm. to help with my tension headaches. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Maybe you were gritting your jaw somehow. Yeah. You know, really... Um, it's, uh, it turns out, I mean, God bless the NHS. I love, <laughs> I miss it, and I love it. I was like, guys, you missed, you missed a trick. <laughs> like, I should have had these braces when I was a teenager. But who doesn't love adult braces? That's always a laugh. So uh, while we're talking about the sort of LA influence, there's a, a tantalising little hint on your website about a, a parent brush that you had somehow or other with Channing Tatum. <laughs> yeah, my good friend. <laughs> who apparently called you a unicorn so I do want to hear that story yeah, how it's, did that uh, it's on the internet for everyone to see it's 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 a fact uh so <laughs> Channing Channing and I have yet to meet I feel like it's only a matter of time uh but yeah he uh obviously I'm sure lots of people know started a movie called Magic Mike uh and he opened a musical version of Magic Mike or at least a stage show production of Magic Mike uh in Las Vegas and now in London as well. Uh, and I went to one of the early performances uh, to review it for Glamour magazine in the UK. Uh, and Channing saw the review and he liked it. Oh, and he oh. tweeted about it, uh, which I'm told was organic. I'm told he wasn't shown it and that he didn't, he wasn't told by the publicist. And the publicist was like, I would have tweeted something different. So be grateful. Um, yeah, he, uh, he tweeted about it and he put it on his Facebook and he said, I'm, I'm a unicorn for life. So I don't know what Fantastic. that, yeah, I don't know what I get for that, what perks there are to be one of Johnny's <laughs> unicorns, but I'll take it. I'll take it. it, it just being show. able to talk about it is probably enough. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's just one of those weird things that it didn't even occur to me. I was just doing my job and going to review a show and now it's the one thing everyone wants to talk to me about. It's like, what's the deal with Channing? I'm like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> everyone I know that's worked with him says he's a delight. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be a unicorn for Channing anytime if he needs one. Hey, perhaps it's this moment to sort of interject and ask, did, did you actually work in journalism at some stage? I didn't, no. Um, that was another thing that I wanted to do. And um, I mean, I grew up in a really small mining village in South Yorkshire uh, and for everyone's support and I had great teachers um and my family you know they were like you know do what you want to do I was also dissuaded from a lot of things and um at one point I think when I wanted to, when I was doing work experience at school I was like I'm gonna go to the local paper and do work experience there and they were like eh really are you gonna is that what you're gonna do no because I think everyone in my family and all my teachers assumed that I would leave school and become a teacher uh because I was a smart yeah. kid who liked reading. So they were just like, well, look at this. This is an English yes. teacher in the making. And I was like, you know what? I don't know. Hate kids. 
Um, <laughs> which I don't hate it. But I always just like the idea of being a teacher. I think teachers are heroes because I don't know how they do it. Um, I, I knew I didn't have the patience to be a teacher um, as a career. So uh, it was confusing. And I really did think I would love to be a journalist. I love magazines. I still love magazines. I subscribed to so many as a kid. I read every magazine, every book, everything I get my hands on. Um, and I would have loved to have been a journalist, I think. Um, but it again, I was dissuaded against it. So it wasn't a path that I looked for. But once I had written my first book with I Heart New York, um, opportunities appeared. One of them was uh, being able to write for magazines from time to time or, or newspapers. And that has been something that I definitely like grabbed hold of with both hands because uh, that just felt like a dream come true. It was a dream on top of a dream. It was just like, the opportunity to be able to write for magazines as well as write my books. It's just something that I, I've i loved. Yeah. It's been fantastic, yeah. You seem to be one of those people who, who is wonderful at making uh, the best of your opportunities. And I'm wondering now, based in New, in LA, whether you have any thoughts in the back of your mind about writing movies someday? Yeah, definitely. I think I would love to. People ask me all the time if, if someone's going to make the I Heart books or One in a Million or one of the other books yeah. movie. Yeah. And I know a lot of authors who have not liked the movie version of their book or have said, like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. I love my book. Um, I, I would love to because, to my mind, I'm a storyteller. I think I tell stories. And whatever medium that is in, it, the more people it gets to and the more people are entertained by it, then that's my job. Like, that's what I'm super into. I just want to tell stories and entertain people and give them time out their life to enjoy this thing. Um, yeah. So I would definitely want to do it. I mean, I'm so busy and it's it's definitely a different skill. Um, I have in the past, I ghost written some books when I turned a script into a book. So I've done it the other uh -huh. way. I, I've adapted yeah. screenplays into books. Um, I, I've i tried. I've sat down as like just a test for myself as an exercise to see if I could adapt one of my books into a screenplay. And it's really hard. It's really, yeah. really hard. Uh, it's, it's definitely something I would love to do, but I wouldn't want to do it unless I could do it well. Uh, I think if it, anything did happen, I imagine there's a good chance that we've just let a professional screenwriter do it. Yes, but, yes. Yeah, it is weird being here because it never really occurred to me until I got to LA and then it's everyone's first question. As soon as you tell someone in LA that you're a writer, they say, oh, movies or TV? And then you go, ooh, books. And then they don't really know what to say. And then the next question is like, oh, do you have anything optioned? And then you go, oh, um, I don't really know. And then they're just like, okay, I'm done with you, next person. Uh, but yeah, it, it is, it's much more prevalent here. It's, it's much more front of mind because it's the thing that everyone works on. Um, yeah, everyone's in the industry. So you do think about it. Interestingly, then the move to LA was not um, fueled by that kind of ambition. It's it's uh, it was not. No, no it was fueled by my boyfriend living here and working uh, in the movie industry himself. Okay. So <laughs> was, he couldn't move to New York because he has to be here for work. Yeah. So I moved here uh, to be with him and working out. It's not so bad. That's good. Look. Is there one thing in your writing career that you've done, perhaps more than any other, that you would credit with your success? You know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything specific apart from be nice to everyone. I think it's so mm -hmm. important. It's so important. And it was interesting for me because my publishers worked where I worked, but we didn't work together. Yes. Um, so it was it was really important to me to maintain my reputation as a professional 
person. Because um, when I first signed my deal, I didn't know if it would work out. I kept my full-time job for three years because I didn't know if I'd be able to be a writer, writer. Um, so yes. just be the best you you can be with everyone. Be civil, be courteous, be polite. Always stand up for yourself, but do it in a respectful fashion. Um, and then it's just a graft. It's just the hard work. I, I think 99% of it now is just putting your nose to the grindstone and getting it done more the, the most common question I get asked more than anything else is how do I become a writer and the only answer I have for that is you write um because nothing else is going to happen until you have written a book that's that's all I can tell anyone and I get it all the time like, oh, I've got this idea what should I do should I talk to agents or like write the book I'm like well yeah but I've got the idea and I don't want I'm like write the book I, I can't tell you if you're a writer until you've written a book um, and same for myself. I can sit here having 25 ideas that I think are brilliant, but until I sit down and put the hours in at the keyboard or at my notebooks, I don't know if it's good until I've done it even now. Um, and even when yeah. I've done it, I don't think it's good, but <laughs> that's another conversation. <laughs> but yeah, that's the be nice be or be respectful and work really hard because if you don't work hard, someone's yeah. going to work harder than you. Someone's going to be polite yeah. than you were. And those things are remembered. Those things are remembered. I've been in publishing one way or another for 16 years and everyone remembers the arseholes. <laughs> like everyone remembers <laughs> those people. Um, and then they remember the very polite people. Uh, just don't be, don't be the person that's remembered for the wrong reason. Mm, that's, that's very interesting. Look, turning to Lindsay as reader, we've, talked, we've titled this podcast the joys of binge reading because we do focus on genre books that are written in series and that people like Mm -hmm. to go through the whole series you obviously have been a huge reader as you said who are you binge reading at the moment um at the minute I'm not actually reading which is physically painful um because I'm on the end of my second draft of my book so when I'm writing I can't read uh because I just consumed by professional jealousy and um hatred for a book being finished <laughs> I'm like how dare this book be over when mine will not die um so nothing at the moment the last series that I read uh was actually um the to all the boys I loved before the Jenny Han books um the Lara oh, King yes. series because I, oh, yes. I I still love YA I still it was you know I loved it as a teenager it was so important to me I think that's when I realized how important books were going to be to me as a pretty introverted kid who liked to be on her own and read books um they were just so important to me and I still love a YA series because I just think they're life-changing they're gonna there's a kid reading that who might not have picked up a book otherwise who now is in love with books for the rest of their life um yeah. and I I just love the power of YA I think it's incredible that they can do that but yeah I thought that was great fun and I read that whole series in a week um oh and then the crazy rich Asian all three of those books I read in a couple oh, of yes. days Yes, yeah, yes. I, I love sequels and trilogies and prequels. Like, I love just following interesting characters around. I find it really hard yes. to let them go. So, yeah, yeah. You mentioned YA. Any temptation to write YA 
a yourself. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that, that will definitely, definitely, definitely happen. Um, I, it was what I always assumed I would do. I never, as I said, I never thought I would be in this sort of women's fiction, rom-com, romance series world. I was in college reading too much Brett Easton Ellis and being really gothy. And then the rest of the time working in children's fiction and reading YA. It's like, this was not really something I read that much. Um, it's just what happened to come out at the right time. Um, but yeah, YA is, that's what I always wanted to do. I will definitely do it. Uh, I think it's so important and I love the thought of writing a book for the teenage me that needed it. Like I would love to write yeah. that someone needs on the day she needs it and it being there. Um, and that is definitely, definitely an ambition that I intend to fulfill. It definitely has blossomed as a category when you think of, Hunger Games and, and lots of other series that have... Yeah, definitely. And I grew up reading Sweet Valley High. Um, that was like my big jam when I was a sort of tween. Um, and everything yes. that came off it, Sweet Valley Twins and Sweet Valley University and like anything they would put yes. out, I would read it. If it was about those bloody Wakefield <laughs> twins. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved series as a kid. I read all the Point Horror books, the Point Romance books, the Sweet Dreams books. Virginia Andrews, Virginia Andrews, anything or V is she V J Andrews here? V yeah, yeah, yeah. England. It's just Virginia Andrews. Um, the Flowers in the Attic series, the Heaven series, the Rubies the series. Like, I just devoured it, all of it. Um, yeah. And I just think, yeah, the idea of being able to write a book that's that important to someone as they those were to me. There was a series actually. I've totally forgotten the name of the author, which is terrible. But there was a series called the Making Out series. And I remember I got the first one on a copy of Bliss magazine, I think. Um, and it was about a group of teenagers that lived on this little island. I want to say up near Maine. Didn't really understand it at the time because I was in England and I was a teenager. Didn't know where Maine was. Um, but they lived on this little island and it was sort of about their lives and how they interacted. And each book was a, focused on one of the different teens, but they were all part of each book. And I loved that series. It dealt with so many issues about being a teenager um, and I identified with each and every one of the characters and I just like obsessively loved it. Uh, so that, that would be the dream for me would be to write something that someone loves as much as I loved the Making Out series. Yeah, yeah. Did you get into Harry Potter? I did. Um, it was, I was already working in publishing. Well, probably not when it started. Yes. Um, I can't remember what year it started, but I would have either been at college, I think, or in my early 20s. So I missed the first few and then once I was in publishing and became aware yeah I went back and read everything and then yeah obsessively I think it was the last four the last three or four I bought on the day they came out it was waiting outside the bookshop took clear the weekend <laughs> I remember one one of the books I think it was Half-Blood Prince that we were at my then boyfriend's parents for the weekend <laughs> I just sat in a corner with a book being like do not talk to me. <laughs> I did not do myself any favors in that relationship. But it's just like I don't love you. And then I think it was the last He's... one I um, read. Took to my friend's bachelorette weekend, and everyone was like, "What's wrong with you?" I'm like, "This is me. This is who I am. Just let it happen." <laughs> you guys go off and have a nice time. I'm going to be sat reading Harry Potter. Oh, what? Yes, that's that's all you need to know. <laughs> oh dear. Look, we're starting to come to the end of our time together. So just circling back, looking at the beginning and, and, and the timeline of where you're at now, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all over again, 
is there anything that you would change or are you happy with the way it's all gone? I, I, I'm totally happy with how it's gone. I, I don't think there's anything I could have done better. I don't think there's anything, there's nothing that jumps out at me that thinks you shouldn't have done that um, or this should have been done that way. I don't know if there's anything, you know, maybe there are things that would have been more successful, but there's nothing I can think that any of us did. Everyone I've worked with and everything I've done, I know I have pushed and pushed myself and and done it the best I can do it. So I just choose not to think that there could be anything. There's nothing that jumps out at me. Yeah, that's great. So what is next for Lindsay, the writer? What are you working on and what are your next projects? Everything ever. Um, I'm finishing up I Heart Hawaii right now. Uh, then I will yes. be straight into my book for 2020, my summer book for 2020. Um, that's already planned. And I'm also working on not YA, but my first uh, children's series, um, which will be coming out this summer as well. The first book in that series will be out uh, on HarperCollins, uh, with HarperCollins this summer. So that will be, that's the very next thing I have to do, the second book in that series. So yeah, loads of exciting stuff coming up. And your summer 2020, is that one of the standalones? It will be a standalone, yeah. Mm Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, do you enjoy interacting with readers? And if so, where do you, where can they find you online? Yes, I love it. Um, I work from home on a laptop with two cats that aren't sociable sometimes. Um, So online interaction is like my workmates um, so please come and talk to me don't leave me alone uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram pretty much all the time and that's just at Lindsay Kelk uh, and I do have a Facebook page as well I'm less good about checking the messages there uh, because I, it's, I can't <laughs> like I've got to write a book um, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram all the time so please come and have a chat that's absolutely lovely and they can also listen to your podcasts, of course. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if you're a pro wrestling fan or a beauty lover, uh, you can definitely come and listen to Tights and Fights and full coverage. Which is, It's just nice to listen to. I mean, we're just <laughs> fun, friendly people, I think. <laughs> oh, yes. I thought the makeup one, it was lovely just hearing you chatting with your friend. It really was. Yeah, we do. We have a really fun time putting full coverage together. We really do. That's wonderful, Lindsay. Look, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. And um, all the very best with finishing I Heart Hawaii. Thank you. Thank you so much. When is that book due out? Uh, publication date for the UK is May 30th. Uh, rest of the world will be, to the best of my knowledge, uh, there or thereabouts. So fairly okay. close. Yeah. Yeah. Mid- middle of this year. Yeah. Getting to the middle. Yeah. Okay. All the very best with it. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. 
our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.